Are you a writer or coach? Do you dream of building a successful online business? Are you tired of hearing the gurus tell you that you need a big launch or a complicated funnel software? Whether you're struggling with self-doubt, imposter syndrome, or just feeling overwhelmed by too many choices, I can help. Hi, I'm Jonathan Milligan, author of Your Message Matters, and I recently put together a free on-demand video training called How to Build an Online Business as a Writer or Coach the Low-Tech Way. Inside, you'll discover the low-tech system that 30 x my online business. Just go to freetrainingvideo.net to get started. Again, that's freetrainingvideo.net. So today I want to talk about a super important topic that is directly tied to your income, to your livelihood, to your career, and there's a trend that's happening that you may not be aware of, but it's predicted that by the year 2020, 40% of the American workforce will be categorized as either freelancers or self-employed. That's right, entrepreneurs. And so this revolution, if you will, is happening all around us. And a lot of it is coming out of necessity. And that's why today I'm so excited to have Taylor Pearson with us today. I wanted to bring him on because he just wrote an amazing book that I read called The End of Jobs, Money, Meaning, and Freedom Without the 9 to 5. It's a number one Amazon business bestseller, and I'm so excited to have Taylor here with us. So, hey, Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love talking about this topic. Um, those that follow the podcast or have followed at least some of my journey know that I, you know my background was, first I was a high school teacher, and then I was an executive recruiter for seven years, and I would sit across from people every day, all day, talking about finding meaningful work, understanding the climate they were in as far as finding the ideal job, was the ideal job out there. And so your book, The End of Jobs, Money, Meaning, and Freedom Without the 9 to 5, is a fun topic for me to discuss as well. So I'm excited to dive in. Yeah, let's uh, let's do it. So I love a quote from Tony Wagner who said, my generation had it easy. We got to find a job. But more than ever, our kids will have to invent a job. So my question is, first, have we reached the end of jobs? Or at least maybe it's gotten harder to say. Um, And I know that's the premise of the book. So where are things going? So uh, I love this quote. I hadn't heard it before um, you sent it over to me. And I think that's a great way of putting it. Um, One of the central ideas I really wanted to get across in the book was this idea of um, building systems versus operating within existing systems. And the way I define jobs in the book and the way I think about jobs, and I think um, most people do, is that some you come in to some position where someone's kind of defined the work that needs to be done, um, and it's this already existing system, and you um, are kind of an important piece of fulfilling that system. Um, and if you look at the second half of the 20th century, there were a lot of jobs created where that was the case. You know, if you graduated from um, medical school in 1960 or law school or had a good professional degree uh, in 1960, that there were lots of positions where someone said, you know, hey, 
it's already defined what you need to do. Um, you just need to come in here and do it. Um, and there were lots and lots of those opportunities. Um, and that's kind of no longer the case anymore that, you know, people with those um, same credentials have much less opportunity that um, kind of one of these interesting uh, reverse trends or paradoxes going on is that um, even as degrees and credentials are getting more and more expensive, you know, the cost of a college degree or an MBA um, are going up and up and up the value and the opportunities available to people with those degrees is going down. Hmm. Yeah. And I could see that happening, especially when I was doing the executive recruiting thing, um, because sometimes I would work with, you know, uh, fresh degreed students or students who had gotten a master's degree or were told to go on to get a master's degree. And then they were, of course, having a really difficult time finding uh, any work out there because a lot of what they heard was, well, you don't have enough experience. And they're like, well, how am I supposed to get experience if you won't hire me? And so that was kind of a real challenge. But one of the things, Taylor, I liked about the book is it's not just you uh, giving a rant and not fulfilling what a lot of people are looking for, and that is digging into trends and providing research in the book. And that's the one of the things that I enjoyed is, is you would share uh, research from other articles, other findings. So in that sense, can you kind of summarize kind of why we are at this place that we are in this job, either jobless economy or rapidly changing economy that we're in? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the articles or some of the research that had been done that was a big influence on me um, is this idea called the Kinevin Framework. So it's C-Y-N-E-F-I-N, if anyone wants to look it up. It was developed by um, a researcher um, who worked with IBM. Um, and what he noticed was that uh, work falls into this kind of four quadrants. You can imagine a, like your kind of classic two-by-two two, uh, management quadrants, that there's simple work, complicated work, complex work, and uh, chaotic work. Uh, and that what has happened over time is that work is kind of moving around this graph. So um, if you were to go back 100 years ago or certainly 200 years ago, most work was in this simple domain. So this is kind of uh, – you call this algorithmic work. So like imagine uh, factory work or people working um, in traditional agriculture jobs. So like this is something you could script down and you could tell someone, you know, do A, then B, then C, then D. Um, there's a lot of like creative or complex thinking going on. Um, and then what happened over the course of the 20th century was kind of this move from simple to complicated, from um, like best practices, which I would call simple, like you can script it, to good practices. So, you know, you get a degree and you understand like the fundamentals of a field, you understand the fundamentals of accounting, and then you have to come in um, and think about, you know, the specifics of this one problem you're working on and how to adapt um, and that, you know, that was kind of this transition we went over, um, certainly in that kind of the post-World War II economy. And what's happening now is we're going from complicated to complex. So um, from best simple practices to uh, good complicated practices to emergent complex practices. So the work that is now increasingly in demand um, is kind of the work for which there aren't really clearly defined scripts. There's something, you know, it's not someone that's created the system that you can go uh, work in, but, you know, you have to actually create the system yourself. And that a lot of that is due to um, machines and automation. So, like, you know, if you think of uh, simple work as something that can be done, A, B, C, D, 
Um, that's basically what software is, right? You know, it's a bunch of if then decision trees um, where you can like code in all these things into software. And so that's creating a lot of pressure there. And then if you look at, you know, complicated work, um, there's a lot of pressure from um, globalization and other countries coming into the West and into the U.S. Um, that up until 2000, there were about 90 million um, college graduates. So it took us basically all of human history to get to about 90 million college graduates a year. Um, and that number has almost uh, has grown by almost 50 percent by 2010. So we went from 90 million to 140 million um, in 2010. So much, much more pressure um, and competition in those domains. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I heard a lot, especially you know, as I interviewed people, was they wanted the safe and secure job. They wanted a place to go where they could retire, they could do a certain task or fulfill that simple work or just do this, um, you know, work for a good company that provided a good salary, good benefits, and it was safe and secure that it wasn't going to go away. Um, but you're right. I mean, as technology has grown and as it's taken a lot of those simple tasks and we've turned it into being processed into technology and computers and things like that, um, it's made it made the landscape a lot different. And so what we're seeing now is safe and secure jobs aren't the way that we thought about them 15, 20 years ago, even 30 years ago. And what people, the thing that they are having a hard time making the leap is that they've seen owning your own business or being a freelancer as really risky. That's like the risky thing. And it's almost like people want something that almost no longer exists. And yet the thing that might be what can provide them the safety and security is the thing that up till now they viewed as risky. And I think that's where entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur kind of comes in or being a freelancer, using your skills um, in a different light is what we see a lot of people moving towards. So why is entrepreneurship safer than ever? So uh, I think the first thing, whenever you want to talk about safety and risk, or the first thing I always like to do is um, kind of clarify, you know, what exactly um, risky is. So the definition I use uh, of risky, what risky is in me, is the likelihood of an irreversible negative outcome. So like, you know, you go bankrupt and someone repossesses your house, you know, that's like, that's really risky. Like that's um, a really dangerous situation to be in. Um, but there's a difference, and I think, kind of what you were explaining and um, the way a lot of people think about this is people conflate, they confuse um, risk with predictability. That just because something isn't, you know, exactly predictable, it's risky. Um, and so what I see a lot of and kind of what I talk about in the book is people who are in positions or want positions that they consider safe and secure um, that are actually risky in the sense that there's um, – a high likelihood of an irreversible negative outcome. So let me give an example. Um, you know, I think accounting is the example I kind of pick on in the book because um, certainly, you know, I had a lot of friends and have a lot of friends um, that went into accounting because they said, you know, this is a very safe, very smart career choice. 
Um, you know, it's a smart thing to do. It's intelligent. Um, and a lot of those people I see are in positions where um, there's, you know, a low likelihood that something's going to happen tomorrow. Um, but the potential for an irreversible negative outcome uh, is quite high. So, you know, you imagine someone that is in an accounting department um, at a corporation where all of a sudden, um, you know, that company figures out, well, hey, we can move this whole division to India. And uh, because of the cost of living in India, we can uh, basically cut our cost by half or cut our cost by um, 70%. And so, you know, I all of a sudden you're in this situation potentially where you are mid-career, um, 40s, 50s, um, and you have a skill set and a professional network, which is based around a way of generating income that has um, suddenly become totally obsolete. Um, that whether that's you know globalization or technology or something going on like that, that the chance of this irreversible negative outcome um, is really you know, the likelihood of that happening in the next 10 to 20 years is um, is very very high. Um, and entrepreneurs, on the other hand, I think have much more volatility. Um, so like income can go up and down month to month. It's much less predictable. But the likelihood of that irreversible negative outcome um, is actually a lot lower. Um, so, you know, if you imagine like you launch a product or service um, and no one buys it, like you get immediate market feedback, which is like I got to change what I'm doing because like this is not valuable. Like people are not paying for this. Um, and you don't get that kind of market feedback. Um, in a lot of like traditional corporate situations, you know, you don't, you know, the salary doesn't decrease by 1% every month as it becomes less valuable. And, you know, it stays flatlined until all of a sudden um, there's a round of layoffs or um, something dramatic happens. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's funny you were talking about accounting because that accounting and finance was my niche and it's where I spent a lot of my time. And so, you know, I would have those conversations. I would see those the outsourcing to another country, or I would see just the the moving of an accounting department to consolidating it and taking it to wherever the corporate headquarters was, even in the U.S. And instantly, their job was gone. And the thing that I saw that I see Taylor is the thing that people forget about is when you're working, you really have one customer, right? And, and it's your boss, and that is can be risky in and of itself and it's fine to certainly it's certainly not wrong to work in that light there's many people that do and they're fulfilled in it but keep in mind that you need to also have a backup plan as far as savings put away for that downturn or know what type of benefits package is going to come your way or at least have a, a an idea about that because i would meet people all the time who were you know they went from safe and secure to panic mode just because of one meeting that they weren't expecting. And that is, um, can be, certainly be risky as well, whereas an entrepreneur has the ability to, and, and what's awesome about the day and time we live in is the ability to get started for very little as an entrepreneur. There's not a lot of overhead. You don't have to go out and, and put up a lot of money to risk to get started. There's a, there's a lot of ways to get started um, very uh cost-effective so that you can minimize the risk and you end up having multiple customers. So like in my case, one of the things I have is a membership site. And so if a customer decides to cancel and no longer wants to be a part of the membership site, it's not panic mode for me because I've got several hundred um, uh, monthly paying subscribers. Uh, so in the book, 
you talk about how the entrepreneurial leap has become the entrepreneurial stair step. Can you explain what that that concept uh, means? Yeah, so it kind of and this kind of goes back to your earlier question about risk, um, which is one of the things that has made, in my mind, entrepreneurship less risky is that the cost of failure, the cost of a new venture, um, has come down dramatically over the last ten or twenty years because of the internet. You know, if you imagine um, trying to start a business twenty or thirty years ago, um, it's almost certainly going to have a physical location. You're going to have to go lease a storefront. Um, the cost add up very, very quickly um, before you uh, even get to the point where you're making any revenue, much less profit. Um, and that the internet has kind of changed how that works, right? So um, blogging is like the obvious example that, you know, the, the cost to set up a blog is, um, you know, tens or at most hundreds of dollars. Um, and, you know, the cost of getting started is much, much lower. So kind of this leap has gone to, um, you know, the stair step or kind of being able to to dip your toe, if you will, into entrepreneurship. Um, and I think the other thing that's kind of worth um, thinking about here is um, access to new markets. Um, so, you know, one, the Internet has made it cheaper to get started. And the other thing is it's opened up um, all these new markets that didn't exist before. So one of the guys I interviewed for the book um, who now runs a software business talked about kind of his first product. He was still figuring things out. Um, in terms of like what what is entrepreneurship? How do I run a business? Um, and so his first product was an ebook on duck blinds. So um, duck blinds. If you're a duck hunter, you have to construct this um, way to basically an, an area where you hide from the ducks. So like when the ducks come out, they don't see you. Um, and so what he did was he wrote an ebook on like how do you construct a duck blind? So like how, what do you need? You go to Home Depot and like what do you have to buy and how do you put it together? Um, and so this is like a very very niche product. You can like a Barnes and Noble would never stock. It wouldn't make sense for them as a retail store to like pay for the shelf space to stock a book on duck blinds. Um, but on the internet, sure. I mean, there's people that want to know how to make a duck blind. Um, and he was able to come in and this was, a, uh, his first product or his second product. Um, and he was the world's leading authority on duck blind construction. Um, the moment he released that ebook. Um, and so he was able to get started very inexpensively, um, and kind of to start learning, you know, that he was selling the book on his own site through Google. So he learned about SEO. He learned about how do I set up a shopping cart. He learned about um, you know, how do I manage customer service? What's my refund policy? So he's able to build up all these skills um, very inexpensively and has kind of parlayed those into um, bigger and bigger businesses. Yeah, that's a great example. And, you know, I think you're exactly right. You know, new markets have opened up. Uh, it's very much more cost effective. I mean, 15 years ago, if you wanted to do what we're doing now, it's called a radio show. And, you know, just the process of trying to, to get a radio, get a show on the radio and get advertisers. I mean, that's a whole process and it can be quite expensive even to have a, a commercial to advertise on the radio. Same thing with TV. You know, TV was uh, really expensive and still is today for commercials or to have an infomercial, you know, but we have YouTube where you can upload a video for free. And so it's, uh, it's definitely a different world that we lived in. Um, one of the things in the book, kind of going to our final question here, is 
uh, I don't know if it was you or it could have been somebody you interviewed or maybe it was a quote that you got, but they talked about how the first rule of career planning today is don't plan your career. Uh, and that seems kind of funny to say, but um, I, I know that's been true with me and it's a discussion I've had with my kids. And so why is that a good first rule? And if so, what should we do instead? So, uh, yeah, I read that and the first time it really got clicked with me and I, I had to include it in the book. Um, it's a quote from Mark Andreessen. Um, and kind of what he's saying and alluding to is, you know, because of all these things we're talking about, because things are changing faster and faster, that if you have some five or 10 year career plan, you say, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to deviate. Um, you're going to miss a lot of really good opportunities because you're going to say, you know, I'm, I'm heads down and I'm just doing this and I'm not going to look at other, um, other options. And that as things are changing faster and faster, you know, I look back and I actually do every year I'll do a three year or five year plan, um, kind of as a way of thinking through what I'm doing each year. Um, but then I, I won't ever follow it. So I'll, you know, I'll follow the first three months of that plan and then inevitably, um, something will come up. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll say, well, this is a much, much better opportunity um, than what it is I had planned out that I couldn't have even imagined. I didn't even know this opportunity existed. Um, and so, you know, kind of the thing I would say to do instead is, um, you know, how can you focus on developing valuable skills? Um, so uh, going back to what you said that, you know, people um, can kind of have their whole career world changed by one meeting. Um, so, you know, can you develop skills that are transferable um, between companies into different markets. You know, if you have a skill set that um, thousands of people um, want to pay for and are interested in, then all of a sudden you've got a lot of um, career security and career opportunity. And then that would be the second point. So it can develop skills and pursue opportunities. So as, you know, skills develop and reputation is improved, um, what are the opportunities that are popping up and how can you kind of one by one start pursuing those um, and see what comes up? Yeah, I love those. And, uh, you know, I was telling you before we got on the uh, for this interview that, you know, I tell my kids all the time that when I was in college, I couldn't even have chosen what I'm doing today. It didn't exist. And, you know, this whole idea of of building your own digital empire. I mean, the Internet was um, going and people were still trying to figure out what it and, you know, what it involved. But as far as running blogs and podcasts and and online courses i mean that that world um had was yet to be created and so i like the idea of working instead on skill sets because skill sets skill sets could be transferable i mean if you work on your communication skills if you work on your writing skills if you work on these different skills you can transfer those either into another industry or even into your own business and your own work um, so let me ask you this. There's probably people who are listening that um, would love to dive in and learn more about uh, this book and this research that you've done. Uh, the book's called The End of Jobs, Money, Meaning, and Freedom Without the 9 to 5. So, Taylor, where can people better connect with you and also where's the best place to get a copy of the book? So the book is on Amazon. If you just search the end of jobs, uh, you can also go to uh, eojbook.com. So that's as an end of jobs uh, and download the first three chapters if you want to check it out there for free. Um, and then my site is taylorpearson.me. That's T-A-Y-L-O-R-P-E-A-R-S-O-N. Uh, and then I'm also on Twitter uh, at Taylor Pearson 
me. You can also email me. Um, I'm Taylor at TaylorPearson.me. And I do love to hear from people. So um, if you're interested, please, uh, please do drop me a line. Awesome. Thanks so much for uh, spending some time today and kind of diving more into this topic. Yeah, great questions. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs>